What do you get when you mix three young engineers with an electrocatalytic oxidizer, an explosive gas, an entrepreneurship competition, and an idea to change the world? Well, you're about to find out. From Blue Tribe Media, this is the Good Business Podcast, the show where we talk to business leaders, social entrepreneurs, and innovators about aligning profit with purpose and how you can make doing good good for business. Now, here's your host, James McGregor. In this episode, I talk with three young chemical engineers who are literally at the beginning of their entrepreneurial journey to change the world. Constantine, Bajil, and Kashal recently formed Team P2X to compete in the Peter Farrell Cup, which is the University of New South Wales' most prestigious competitive ideas program. The cup culminates in a final pitch competition where participants get the opportunity to win a share of a $20,000 prize pool to help take their ideas to the next level. Now, as part of the competition, the teams get allocated industry mentors who volunteer their time to help the teams through the process. And in this case, Team P2X got allocated me as their industry mentor. Whilst the outcome was not what they expected, my conversation with you guys is a great example about how to craft a compelling message to get people to buy into your idea, no matter how complicated it is. So if you ever had an idea to change the world but didn't know where to start, or you've ever been frustrated that people just don't get it, or you've struggled to get people to support your idea, then this is the episode for you. In this episode, we find out what happens when you mix three young, eager chemical engineers together with an electrocatalytic oxidizer, some explosive gas, an entrepreneurship program, a no BS industry mentor, that would be me, and a vision to change the world. What could possibly go wrong? So to kick off, so we're sitting here at University of New South Wales with Team P2X, um, who've just come through the university's um, most prestigious entrepreneurship program. They've come at the back end of that. And uh, sadly for them, I got allocated as their industry mentor. Um, so how about we go around the table and you guys actually tell the audience who you are. My name is Constantine Tsunis. I am a first-year chemical engineering PhD student. Um, I'm joint between UNSW and CSIRO, and I work primarily on developing materials which are used to create hydrogen. My name is Kashal. Um, I've graduated almost five months ago now, and um, I've been working at Deloitte Consulting, and I specialize in transformation projects, and um, I'm looking to go more into the energy space in the near future. So my name is Bijul Subash and I'm a PhD student who recently graduated as a chemical engineer from UNSW as well. I'm working on developing material that will allow us to create hydrogen from different sort of waste streams. So let's go back in time a little bit um, and I really want to hear the backstory of how this bromance uh, formed and how you guys actually came together uh, to create this team for the Peter Farrell Cup. Uh, it was actually like, so So we all studied chemical engineering. Um, I met Constantine in first year. He was actually in the first, the very first shoot that we had. And then and then after that, in third year, fourth year, we sort of met Bijul as well. And we sort of built traction there. Uh, we realized that, you know, we can, we can work together, we can study together. And then fourth year, we did a capstone project together. So it was an engineering consulting project for TUIs. And um, so this project, we essentially had to do an end-to-end or do the financials, design work and engineering implementation for, uh, I, I guess, I guess a, a social-driven 
um, engineering project. And we spent, I guess, 80 hours a week together and we got really close to each other and we really understood what we were doing. Yeah, and I think one of the great uh, things about that story is that although we did quite well in the classroom, we also meshed quite well at the pub after the class at the same time. And I think that was partially because our skills were so diverse in completely different areas. So, you know, Bajil and I would come up with these crazy engineering solutions and Kushal would really shut us down and tell us, no, this is not how we do things. This will not work. We can't have a payback period of 120 years. We need to think of something more reasonable. And I think um, that banter kind of translated outside of the classroom at the same time. And that was really something that drew us all together and why we're still here today. And what about um, P2X then? How did that, you know, so you know, your mates, mates in class and you're studying in the same area, how did, how did the idea of let's, let's put in a submission into the Peter Farrell Cup and where did P2X come from? The main thing that sort of drew us to the Peter Farrell Cup was that it allowed us to create an outlet towards those crazy ideas which I was talking about before. And I think, you know, Bajil and I often work in that think tank and that microcosm of chemical engineering research. And to be able to translate that into a real application was something that we all felt very passionate about. So it was kind of obvious that we'd just give it a go. Um, the other thing I might want to add is that we thought that it would be really easy because we thought that uh, the Peter Farrell Cup was mainly undergrads trying to come up and pitch their ideas and we thought we had a head start. But boy, we were wrong about that. Right. So, so tell me about this crazy idea. What was it? Yeah. So I, I think one thing that we all have in common in this room is that we absolutely really want to address climate change and we really want to fix the world. And I think as chemical engineers in this kind of diverse range of backgrounds, um, we have a really good opportunity to do that. And so um, our research is on hydrogen production. And as we know, hydrogen is going to be the fuel that you and I will be using when fossil fuels eventually run out because it's clean burning. And we've actually come up with a technology with our research group, the Particles and Catalysis Research Group, uh, here at UNSW, as well as the CSIRO, uh, to actually uh, utilize this technology to create hydrogen from industrial waste. Mm -hmm. So when we're doing that, we, you know, at the moment, Australia's got a bit of an issue with water. We're all also running out of water. So we can not only create hydrogen from other waste sources, and we also address the waste abatement problem in Australia currently because we're also producing 20 million tons of waste biomass every year. So by applying our technology, we can actually create hydrogen from this waste. So tell me specifically about what, so we've talked about producing hydrogen, how do you do that? Well, give, me, give, me the, give me the scientific specifics here because I want, I want the audience to understand, um, so the people listening to this podcast, how technically um, complex your solution was mm -hmm. um, to a non-technical person mm -hmm. um, so that when we actually talk about how you pitch that, um, how we're actually able to simplify that down. So <clears throat> give me give me all the no holes barred. I'm not going to understand a word. I'm going to say what this what this thing does. So conventionally, hydrogen has been produced using um, two methods. One is called the steam reforming, and the other one is the coal gasification. The steam reforming, for every ton of hydrogen, you're generating about 12 to 15 tons of carbon dioxide. And for coal gasification, you're making about 20 tons of carbon dioxide for every tons of hydrogen. Now, the new method that everyone uses is basically electrolysis of water. Now, electrolysis of water is great. It works beautiful. But the issue with, the, with that one is they actually use water. And the, the technology that we came up with actually doesn't use water. We're basically using organic waste stream in an electrolytic cell. It's the same as electrolysis. 
Um, in an electrolytic cell, you basically have two sides to the reactions. One is called the cathode and the other one is the anode. So at the cathode, we basically reduce this waste stream into hydrogen. And on the anode, we basically oxidize the organics into useful chemicals as well. The, diff the reason why our technology is possibly better than the, the method that uses water is because uh, the oxidation of water is extremely energy intensive and as a result it's not very feasible in most of the industrial applications and they want something that will reduce the energy intake for that particular reaction and that's where our competitive advantage comes into play in addition to the catalyst that we have basically can do perform this reaction in a more energetically favorable pathway. Mm. So, so what's a, explain what a catalyst is for those who aren't chemical engineers. Yep, so a catalyst is, in our case, a special type of material that is able to facilitate a reaction at a lower required energy. So, for example, you may be able to split water using any metal electrodes, and that will require a lot of energy. Whereas if you use our catalyst, you can actually lower the energy required so that you can split water at much lower energy inputs. Right. So I hope everyone listening, um, if you have no idea what the guys just explained, that's perfectly fine because that's, that's exactly what I wanted uh, you to hear because the challenge behind what this team um, had to pitch for this entrepreneurship program was actually how to describe this technology in a way that non-technical people would understand and we'll get to that uh, shortly. So, so, so you guys got together, you've got this crazy idea to um, use this technology to take a waste product and turn it into energy and these really high-value chemicals. So you've entered into you know, the Peter Farrell Cup. You've got to sign in me as your <laughs> mentor. Um, so it was a bit like an arranged marriage or uh, going on a blind date set up by the, the team here. So I'm interested in um, uh, what were your first thoughts when you got my name and assume you uh, stalked me on LinkedIn to find out who I was. <laughs> Incognito. Because we never had We hadn't met. Incognito, no, yes. Yeah, sure, I can start off. So I think the general consensus was that we were really, really excited because there's not a lot of people that get hydrogen and get what we're trying to do. And I think if you kind of have a bigger picture of where we're coming from, we're really trying to sever that reliance on fossil fuels, which is so important towards going towards a um, clean energy future. And we were really excited because we thought that, yes, you would get it and you would absolutely love our idea. And that was our first impression. When we actually told you our idea, things changed a little bit from there. Um, it was actually interesting. So I, I didn't actually go to the initial um, catch-up that we had. And so, you know, I was really excited. I thought, yeah, you know, uh, he'll, he'll know exactly what we're, what we're talking about. He'll love our idea. It'll be great. And then in the night, I get a call from Con and Bidge and they're like, yep, Kush, look, uh, we have an intense couple of weeks coming up. <laughs> we, we need to stress test our idea a little bit. Um, and I, I was so confused. I thought, you know, surely a technical person in the space would understand us. But I think in hindsight, that was probably the best thing we could ask for. Somebody in the background really questioning what we're doing and really asking us the right questions in the sense that how are you going to make money? How are you going to explain this to somebody that's non-technical? You know, so those those questions were really important, and I think I think that's why that first meeting, I guess, really set up the tone for our team. So, what was your, you know, what was the key thing that I told you in our first meeting that really made you go, oh, we need to really, really think this? Yeah, the one thing that we 
from the beginning, we were trying to address climate change, yeah. which you shut down the minute you heard it, which was because you said no one wants to solve climate change unless they can make money out of it. So that's one thing. That's, that's probably the biggest thing that we took from that initial meet with you. And we kind of had to tailor our pitch from there onwards to kind of design to make sure that we are addressing climate change still, we're solving it, but at the same time, whoever is using our technology can actually do it profitably. Yeah. So that was one big takeaway. So when, when we had that initial meeting, so you guys start off with, we're going to save the world. We've got this great technology. We're going to reduce all these carbon emissions. And I think I was you know, being cruel to be kind. Um, <laughs> and I think my words to you were, look, having a mission to reduce climate change is great but nobody cares. And by that, I don't mean, and, and this is a classic mistake I see sustainability people making all the time. And it's not that people don't care about climate change. Right? If you go out and ask people on the street whether we should do things about it, whether it's important, they will say yes every time. Um, but they have a million other things in their lives going on that the second they walk out away from that conversation, they forget. All right? And so whereas the four of us in this room, we live and breathe sustainability and trying to save the planet, not everyone thinks the way we think, right? So the classic mistake, I think, people who are trying to develop these solutions to make the world a better place is they lead with their environmental or social mission, which is not the problem people need solved. So you know, to get people to use your product or service, you have to be solving a problem that's important to them and that affects their lives. In this case, you're dealing with an industrial process. So what do those industrial companies want? They want to be able to reduce costs or to make more profit, right? So you need to lead with that. And if you're successful at that, then the great things you want to achieve in terms of climate change will achieve because I'll start using your product or service and as a consequence of it, um, you'll, you'll achieve those things. So that the, the, the saying our team um, loves to use is sell them what they want, but give them what they need. And it's like sustainability by stealth. So solve a really important problem for them. And that's, for this podcast, which is why I really want to talk to you guys, that's a really important thing for sustainability people to um, get through. So after you had that initial, you know, He's a hydrogen guy because you know, a bit of background as well. I spent seven years trying to commercialize hydrogen technologies uh, in, a, in a different life. Um, so I actually knew the technology quite intimately and had learned the hard way on trying to do some of these things. So after that initial reaction, like what, what, what did you do when you regrouped? Like what, was, what was the discussion? It, it was a real wake-up call for us. And um, I think after that meeting, we, we really had to rethink and um, iterate our process, which was which was really really good for us, really beneficial, and um, I think that's why we applied for this competition. I think um, we 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 were always like we always knew we were a good team. We knew what we could do, but we never knew what taking an idea into implementation was like. Mm-hmm. So this journey and this you know I guess yeah. the reason why we joined P two X was for this, like to actually understand what what a business a business framework will look like. Yeah. Um, we had a great solution, which was perfect for the thing. But the issue was we didn't have a good problem statement. So the problem statement we had initially was a bit too big for anyone really to capture by themselves. Because of that, we had to kind of dig deep into what problem are we trying to solve, or who is we trying to solve, who is actually facing that problem, how big a problem is that. And that's when we kind of tapping more into the industry waste and what sort of waste they have what sort of industries we end up in, and that's kind of where we tailor the rest of our whole story towards. Yeah, it's kind of rewarding to hear um, Con say um, what was the problem we're solving and for whom, because I think I probably said that statement a hundred times in our conversations. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm glad that sunk in, So and that's really important. So it's not just what's the problem we're solving in terms of the high-level problem, but who's the individual the person who's facing that problem that's going to want to 
hand over a check to buy your technology. So yeah, and I, and I think one of the big challenges is sort of shifting away from that solution and going into that sort of microcosm of what's going on in industry and what do they really need? Because although everyone sort of needs climate change, but do they need to process their waste? What what are they actually paying for? And how can we use climate change and harness the technology that we have to address that tiny problem that they have? Yeah, yeah, perfect. So, so next, so then we reconvened. So you guys, after um, I was cru- cruel to be kind, um, reconvened to come up with a pitch. Uh, and so one of, and one of the things I explained to you was our this sales communication structure that we use for all of our projects. Um, which is uses the acronym of PASTA, right? So to be a PASTA, so the Latin for to shepherd. So you want to guide people towards your to buying your solution and buying into it. Uh, and so, uh, and the first part of that was of any good presentational pitch is getting people's attention. Uh, and there's a whole neuroscience reason for that. It causes cortisol production in the brain, and then once you've got someone's attention, they're more attentive to your message. So, what um, cunning plan did we come up with to grab the attention during your pitch? Yeah, well, I, I guess um, because our technology was to solve specifically waste, organic waste, and we um, tailored that towards the brewery industry. And it's a little known fact that actually as in Australia, we consume about 2 billion litres of beer every year, which is quite a lot. But the ratio towards the beer consumed and the wastewater produced is about 1 to 5. So although we're drinking 2 billion litres of beer, we're actually producing 10 billion litres of this wastewater. So what we did to sort of introduce and evoke that emotion in the audience was to bring up a beer and then a disgusting waste tank next to that beer with about 5 litres of wastewater and say that, look, every time you consume one of these, and this is sort of an elephant in the room, you actually produce five litres of this gunk on the other side here to sort of evoke that um, rational response and for the audience to sort of take responsibility towards what we are doing implicitly. Yeah, yeah. And I think that, that, was a, that was a really good idea when we brainstormed and came up with that around not only would it did it make your presentation stand out because you're actually using physical props, you brought in an actual beer and this bucket of gunk um, and so that would have immediately elicited the right chemical response in people's brains, so therefore you're more likely to get their attention. So, so you went to your first pitch, and how'd that go? Again, <laughs> I was I heard this I heard this news on the phone. So I was in Melbourne for a for a conference, um, and Con says, "Look, Kush, I mean, uh, you know, I asked how do we go, blah blah blah, and he's like, there's good news and there's bad news, and I said." Give me the bad news first, because <laughs> because um, I really need to you know conceptualize what's going on. And he said we didn't make top three, but we did come fourth. And I was like, so is that is that the good news? Like, what does does fourth place get anything? I mean, like, what what happens? He's like, we go into the wild card round, and so we're gonna have another opportunity to sort of you know, uh, I guess brainstorm and and get get our whole ideas together and 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 sort of make our presentation better. And um, at the time, I was, you know, I, I think I had maybe a drink or two. Um, so I was a little bit confused with how this was good news. <laughs> um, but no, it was, it was okay. And then, you know, once I came back, we, we had a session on the Monday after the pitch. And it, it was really good because all three of us, we sort of really went hard at the feedback that we got. And, um, and then we also... Now, what was the feedback? What, 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 what did the judges not understand? I think, um, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, but it's something very similar along the lines to, you did great, but we're not really sure what you're doing. 
And I think, you know, they, they saw the bigger picture. Okay, we're going out there and we're going to solve climate change, but they weren't really sure how and why people would want to do it our way. I think that was the biggest feedback that we got. Yeah. And how are you feeling about the whole process? Because I actually remember a phone call where you were going, what's the value? Can tell us why we should be doing this. Like, <laughs> what, what, what are we doing? This seems like a huge amount of work because you guys seem pretty down after that and that, like, you're really questioning. Is this really worth it? Like, what, what was what was going on in the dynamics of the team at the time? Within us, we felt fine, but uh, I guess some of us probably didn't talk about it. Morale wasn't the best because we thought we had a great idea, a great solution. We could solve a big issue, but it seems like the market is not ready or the people are not understanding it or the problem's not worth solving sort of thing. So we weren't too sure. Maybe, we are, maybe this is not our game. Maybe stop it while we without embarrassing us more kind of thing yeah so what what, what did you change what we did was we, we did a role-playing exercise so we went through each slide and we sort of asked each other to sort of okay think that for just you know for for 10 seconds you are not a phd student what do you th- what do you get out of this slide and then you know we we took that feedback we made changes we went through it and i think the other thing that happened was we contacted and engaged a lot of people during that period so i mean i asked my colleagues at deloitte Bijul asked colleagues at, at, at in his phd team con asked you know colleagues in csro and i think that feedback really really is what we needed and um and sort of exposure and selling we, we needed to keep selling our idea and selling our, our concept our slides and everything so i think that's where we sort of built traction and that's probably how we picked ourselves up from that low yeah so so my my record as well is you also very you simplified so in the first pitch it was there's this process called electrolysis and this really cool thing called a catalyst and this catalyst is our like secret source is like our colonel sanders herbs and spices yeah. um and it was yeah it was still very complex so, and it was really challenging you guys this was a really challenging technology to try to pitch um and so i think it was that complexity so one of the things like um when it comes to communicating anything is that our brains due to evolution are wired to minimize calorie consumption right so so your brain wants to do the minimum amount of work to get to a conclusion so if you put up something that's really complex what's what happens is people's brains will process it for about six seconds and they go it's all too hard and they'll switch off uh, and you, you've lost them, so they know they don't get it, right? So, so I think you guys really narrowed down. So instead of talking about this process called electrolysis with a catalyst, you said we have this process, and it's just a box, right? And, we, and you provided some proof around patterns. So I think that really helped to say because people didn't really care what it was electrolysis. They just want to understand this stuff went in here and this stuff came out the other side. Yeah. So I think that really helped. So, so you got ready for your wildcard pitch. Um, how are you feeling on the day? Uh, I can't say we were feeling the most confident. I think um, the previous feedback we got was, uh, was a pretty big blow on the team, I think. And, you know, we thought that, look, it was an extra week of planning. We'll put our heads down. We'll try our best and we'll just see what happens. So for good or for worse, we just do it. And we take that uh, feedback uh, on board. So although, you know, we start treating everything like it's a black box and we focus more on the implications and sort of the outcomes and the outputs of our device, we really were still a little bit shattered by are people ready for this? Are they going to get it? So I think, you know, we, we did our best at the wild card and we're lucky enough to win that 10th final place to, uh, perform in the Peter Farrell Cup final. And that's when the sort of, uh, switch clicked in us and we realized that, hey, we can do this and people care about what we're doing. So now you're in the finals. 
what was what was the feeling of the team? We're, we're all on the same page. Like, it, we didn't even have to discuss, oh, guys, do you think we should revamp the sides? It was, it was sort of instinctive switch amongst the three of us. Like, yeah, let's spend a couple more hours. Let's make this better. Let's change the templates. Let's do this. Let's, let's really go out there and, like, actually try and win this. And one thing that we've done in preparation for finals from the wildcard day was actually speak to industries. So we spoke to a couple of industry people. One is one of the largest breweries in Australia. And they were quite impressed by the idea. They're happy to work with us going forward to take the idea further as well, continue developing the idea. And that gave us a bit more of a confidence boost for the finals. From there onwards, we basically practiced the pitch to make sure it's perfect. And I'm, I'll be honest, I got sick of hearing the pitch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. So, so the big day arrives. What did you do to prepare? How are you feeling? Yeah, so I think um, for me personally, I'm a little bit of an introvert at times. So I felt completely like a fish out of water on the day there. And there were so many people that were there with their teams and they had their tailor-made t-shirts and they were so confident and they were ready. And I just looked at Vigil and I said, what are we doing here? Like, are we really in this to win it? And I think you know, some time goes by, we practice a little bit more, we feel a bit more confident. And I think one of the things that really sort of clicked in our minds is that if the judges get it, we've won it. And I think it was just about, you know, are they on the same page as us? Do they share that same vision as us? And, you know, everything that I've we've done so far in terms of techniques in communicating, talk, walking around the stage, eye contact, opening that gestures, that that at that stage felt very natural. So there was this sort of calm before the storm before I actually walked out on the stage and thought, hey, I'm just going to go there and just tell them this awesome idea that we've had and whatever happens, happens. Uh, and how, how, do you, how do you think, you, how do you feel after you came off, after you did your pitch? How are you feeling about it? I felt great. I think, I think I felt, first of all, a sense of relief that this was the intense couple of weeks before we could really start focusing on our PhDs a little bit more. I was wrong about that, by the way. But uh, yeah, it was just a relief. And I think uh, that calmness really stuck by because whatever happens, happens. And we're quite a strong believer at that stage. We'd really, with in conjunction with you and the MCIC, James, um, we really uh, had that belief that our technology was good and we can do something with it. Whether it was going to be this avenue or another, it was something that we're going to stick towards. And that bromance really kicked in, guys, where they were, uh, all I got was a, a flourish of positive words. And even though I, I thought I was really happy with the pitch, I was just like, guys, it's great. Let's just see what happens. Fingers crossed. Let's get it done. And what were you thinking? So, yeah, obviously, the, the other teams are up there pitching. So, what, what were you intimidated by what you saw? How, what were you thinking of the chances having done your pitch and then seeing the other teams? So we, we actually, I think it was second last pitch of the night. Um, so it was, it was interesting seeing, seeing everyone else go. And um, I'll be honest, like, like, you know, the competition has some real good talent out there. And um, I wouldn't say we were intimidated, mm-hmm. but we were, you know, we were so happy that we were amongst such, you know, such competitive teams, such creative ideas. And um, it was really interesting. And um, I, I thought... Uh, we, we had a really good chance. I, I wouldn't say, like, at the time we thought we would make top five, top six, top seven. Like, there were really, really good good teams out there. But um, I was really happy with our pitch. And I, I actually thought Con, Con did, like, an amazing, amazing job. Um, I think when you crack a joke and the audience resonates with it, I think they're on par with what you're going. 
and he cracked two or three jokes and they were throughout the speech and the laugh and the, you know, I guess appreciation for the joke was consistent amongst the three times, which was really good. It means like, you know, the audience was engaged. They were enjoying what we were doing and buying what we were selling. Um, so yeah, I think, I think that's, that's where we were at. Great. And then how are you feeling? So you're on your pitch, you've seen the other teams and now you're waiting for the result. What was going through your heads? I actually have an interesting story. So, so Vigil was sitting next to me and I honestly don't think I've seen him this stressed in my life. We've gone through PH, uh, sorry, thesis presentations, like our capstone presentations where we slept almost half an hour before the final interview. Literally, we've gone through everything and I've never seen him this like anxious slash stressed in my life. And, and I, I kept telling you, I, I put my hand around his shoulders and like, well, I mean, look, at the end of the day, we tried our best. And um, this is an excitement. This is a joy. This is a new experience that we're going to try. And we've already we've already done so much. Like you know, it's fine. Like whatever happens, happens. But um, shouldn't really get to us. But it was amazing watching him. I I, I I was just laughing at him the whole time. He took the pressure off me by being so stressed. He's <laughs> cool, man. That's what I actually was saying. It's so good. It's all but the thing was um, uh, right after finished all the pitches, um, they were. They opened the voting for basically the People's Choice Award. Um, fortunately, you we were able to see the results, and they were they, they didn't hide the results, and we could actually see the number of votes that adds up, piles up. So there were four prizes: first three, top three, and one People's Choice, where people get to vote on. And we were going through the list as we people the vote came in, and I could see our numbers adding up really far. We were leading by almost double more than most people, and we were like, oh, "Okay, so we won the people's choice." So we're great, happy, and uh, and they stopped the people's choice, and then they went on to announce the actual price list, and that's when I started stressing about like, maybe someone else. But I didn't. I stopped looking at my phone at that point, and I thought, okay, someone else might have, you know, gone faster than we didn't get anything. All this time that we spent, I don't know. And uh, then they announced the prize, and um, yeah, yeah. So we didn't get the People's Choice Award, and I think you know at that time. It, it just seems so unfeasible in, in our minds that we could come first, second, third, or third. So we kind of thought there was a, there was something going on there, perhaps a bit rigged, because we we just had no idea that we just really did not believe that we could actually come that far. And so People's Choice Award got announced. It wasn't us. Okay, let's see what happens. Third place gets announced. It wasn't us. Let's see what happens. And then that moment sort of clicked where second place gets announced. It's not us. And then I think Bajil's halfway out the door towards the bar already. <laughs> Got his uh, beer orders in. And then the winner of 2019 Peter Farrell Cup is... Oh, I'll say it later. No, I'll say it now. It's P2X. Big cheer. Big cheer. Woo's it up. Hey, it's Team P2X. Woo. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and I, I just looked at them in utter disbelief. I was like, guys, yeah. is this is this actually happening? Yeah. Because I think for us coming from that engineering background and, you know, a lot of the times engineers and scientists, we don't really win these kind of competitions, right? We're not, uh, you know, as a whole, perhaps we're not as focused about communicating ideas as perhaps other people's in different disciplines are. So for us, it really, that that sign was not only, hey, we can do this, but more so, hey, engineers can do this and engineers can solve real problems that mean things to people yeah, yeah. i think i think it was a it's a really great lesson in how to 
take a really complex issue. So you, know, you guys start out with a mission to change the world, right? And great, that's a really noble mission. But if you don't get people to buy into your products, you're not going to do that because it's just going to stay an idea. Um, so you know, the fact that you guys then were able to reset and go, okay, well, what's the problem we're solving it for whom? And to articulate that in a way that people understood, um, simplified your message so people's brains didn't have to burn calories to understand what this thing did. Yeah. Um, you, you, know, you used all the right um, behavioral science and neuroscience around you know, your, all your props grabbed people's attention. Using beer, that was genius because engineers and beer, they're just they're married to made heaven. That's like basil and tomato, right? Um, so you, know, you had your props there to get, get attention. So you got the attention of the audience. You articulated your problem statement properly. You agitated that problem. So you explained who that pain point was for. So I think like, that's a really great masterclass in in such a short period of time too on how to take a really complex idea and use a really simple structure to get that idea across the people in the way that people understand. So, yeah, yeah I agree. And I think uh, for me, one of the best parts was that we were still ourselves. And I think uh, we, we sort of identify as chemical engineers here, even though we're working in different sort of areas at the moment from slightly different backgrounds. At the end of the day, we're chemical engineers and we went up there and we applied all those methods and we really tried to communicate, like you mentioned before, what we're doing and what the implications are and why people should care. But we were still ourselves while we're doing it. And, you know, the bees, those sort of props, it just really, for us, reinforced that we're so versatile in what we can do as human beings, as chemical engineers, and that we can do it. And that was really important for us. So, so what was, what's the biggest lesson that you've taken away from going through this process? Um, sure. Um, I guess it comes down to communication. That was what I I've looked at because I've looked at the first slide and the first script that we wrote to what we have today. It's a big difference. It's a two. It was woeful. <laughs> it's like looking I'll, I'll at two different worlds. Like first one is I don't know what it is anymore. It's just full about climate change and this is what climate change does to you, all that stuff. But this one's more relatable, more emotionally capturing people's attention, sort of thing. And that's just how I think um, everyone who is doubly who's trying to solve big issues like this should go about it, trying to communicate and get that message through everyone's what they can relate to sort of thing and that's a big lesson for me because I don't have that sort of experience so I'll take that from here and take it to the next step kind of thing yeah, yeah. Um, I think uh, for, for me I'm, I'm more of a nostalgic type personality so I think for me this brought back the memories that we had from fourth year doing our capstone project and when we were doing our capstone project it was a very theoretical project and I know yes we had to do some financial work in there and and maybe some engineering design but uh, it was very theoretical and here we are doing something extremely practical which is a complete 180 on what we did back then Um, so for us to see to I mean for us to grow as a team and really you know sort of set our sights and evolve per se evolve our skill sets not just focus on the very technical stuff but go more at the practical side like actually have a go at selling things and um it really i think it helped us in the last couple of weeks understand that we can actually build and build a company from this we can build the foundation for something we can really go at this and and as con mentioned like build something big out of this like we can actually make change as engineers as entrepreneurs so I think that was my evolutionary step. Yeah, and I think the biggest lesson that I learned sort of um, falls into what you guys talked about before. And I think it's that 
it's really a team effort. And, you know, although, you know, it's us three in this sort of team and um, we have sort of expertise in different areas, what I realize is that it's not just um, bound between the experience that we have. It's about the people around us. For example, you know, we have some great advisors both in the chemical engineering side, but we also have some great advisors both in the marketing and the sales and the communication side. And for example, people like you, James, who really give us that insight on how to sell sustainability and do so so that it matters. And people like Stephen from the MCIC really, really enforcing the tenants of, you know, coming up with a business. And at the same time, people like Rose is our supervisor, really supporting us, believing in us, giving us the opportunity and the skills to do that. So I think the main thing that I learned is that these are the people that are going to support you till the end. And you really need to just, you know, throw ideas at them, get, get them on board, see what they need to think. And it's something that's so integral to the success of any small team. So what's next for P2X? So I think first step for us is to show that the technology can be scalable. So the next six months to one year is going to be really big for us. Um, we're going to have something tangible ready. And I think we're going to try and push for market as soon as we can. From a technical side of things, um, currently we, we have a prototype which makes about 20 liters of hydrogen a day uh, from any, any sort of waste, organic waste stream. We are trying to scale that up to about 2,000 liters of hydrogen per day and that's where the funding that we got from PFC will go towards. At the same time, we are working with a couple of industry partners as well, try to obtain real actual streams, waste streams from them and use that to generate that 2,000 litres of hydrogen per day. I can't wait to see where it goes. Uh, I'm sure it'll be a, a adventure for you. So uh, I'm glad you're not saying what you're going to be in five years' time because yeah. no one um, who is trying to develop a new product or service can... It's fantasy to work out what you're going to be in five years' time. Uh, you might know what you're doing next week. Um, yeah. You just <laughs> use that customer feedback to then yeah, build, measure, and just yeah. keep repeating that cycle. So. So is there, um, are there any particular people you think you want to thank for we've got you here so far? Yeah, sure. So um, we really stand on the shoulder of giants with our technology, and this was developed uh, in conjunction with uh, our PhDs in the Particles and Catalysis Research Group led by Professor Rosamal here at UNSW and the CSIRO. We also had some really great supporters from other people from the CSIRO, Zhao Jun Han, our other supervisors, Nick Bedford, Pierre Leclerc. Uh, and great support from the MCIC as well. So Stephen really drove home what we needed to do. Uh, Tash, Laura, and just as importantly, we've got uh, we're very lucky to be blessed with the presence of James, who's got so much experience in this area and selling sustainability. And it was really what we needed to drive this forward at the same time. Thanks, guys. It's been uh, a pleasure watching the journey. Uh, and uh, playing a small part in getting you guys into the uh, glorious victory that you had. And I uh, can't wait to see what P2X does in the future. Yeah, thank you. Okay. Thank you for having thank us. For having us. Well, I hope at the end of that episode, you did a little happy dance where you had one of those Luke Skywalker destroying the Death Star fist-pumping type moments when the guys won the competition because it's a great story and they worked really, really hard and they were really receptive to all the advice that they received. Um, so it was a well-deserved win for the team. Now, if you've listened to the previous episodes of the Good Business Podcast, you know at the end of each episode, I'll tell you about a free ebook that we have called Selling Sustainability, which you can access through the show notes. Now, this ebook contains the exact same process that I taught the guys to help them sell their idea from grabbing the audience's attention to crafting a proper problem statement through some of the neuroscience and behavioral science of communicating your idea. 
I believe that the ability to sell your idea is one of the most critical skills for anyone who wants to make a positive impact on the world because if you can't get people to buy into your idea, then nothing's going to happen. It doesn't matter whether you're a social entrepreneur who wants to start your own social enterprise or a sustainability manager simply getting trying to get budget for an initiative that you're passionate about or if you're working in government and trying to get stakeholders to join a program. The first thing you always need to do is to get people to buy into your idea or initiative. Fail to do this and your ideas go nowhere. So if you want to access the free ebook, make sure you check out the show notes, which you can get at www.bluetribe.co forward slash podcast. Also, if you like today's episode, make sure you click that subscribe or follow button and leave a rating. Coming up in the next episode. The girlfriend I had in Cuba had her story and uh, her ex-partner came after both of us with a knife and we had to um, had to leave Cuba or leave Havana late one night into the countryside, uh, basically for our physical safety. After seeing endemic violence against women all around him, this social entrepreneur went on a 20-year journey to find a solution to help protect women against violence. If you're a man, I particularly encourage you to listen to this episode because dudes, the behaviour you walk past and ignore is the behaviour you accept, and we're a big part of the solution to this problem. Thanks for listening to the Good Business Podcast. I'm James McGregor. Until next time.